Welcome to another corporation exposing episode of Cinelit. Today we are looking at the franchise Robocop with its outdated satirical concepts of corporate corruption, police violence, homelessness, inner city turmoil and the loss of humanity. All problems we have successfully eradicated here in the 21st century. Today I'm joined by Daryl Buxton. How are you, Daryl? Yeah, all set for this, Adam. Yeah, I've had the uh, had the scientific team in, and they've uh, they've been fitting me with uh, all kinds of mechanical devices and things. So I'm all set to go. Yeah, lose the arm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we we are here with we talk RoboCop, and particularly the franchise, but may, I guess mainly the first one, which started it all. Um, it's getting re-released in cinemas fairly soon uh, for its thirty fifth. Anniversary? Five years. Five years, yes. Um, 35th anniversary. We've also got a new Paul Verhoeven film in cinemas at the moment, Benedetta. Quite a different movie in many ways. You know, it's it's, it's more in line with um, his basic instinct, uh, showgirls style of a movie. Well, I think there's, there is parallels to RoboCop, I think. I, I think I think we can find a few connections there as we go, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as I was watching it, I was thinking he's like, he is doing RoboCop for sexy films. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I, was, I was enjoying the film. I was like, this is, this is, just, this is just satirical RoboCop, but, but with sexiness in it as well. Yeah, yeah. Not that Robocop isn't sexy. <laughs> um, let's, let's, so let's kick back to, to 1987 when we launched this franchise. Slap bang in the middle of the 80s. It's Arnie Fever. It's Stallone. They're your action heroes. And this movie kind of takes that style of a film and then injects it with like some European satirical sensibility from its director, Paul Verhoeven. Yeah, um, Hollywood just didn't know how to deal with this, and still doesn't, and has proved that. I think, with the as as you were saying uh, to me a moment ago, Adam, uh, it's proved that with the sequels and and the the, the sort of failed reboot. Now, um, to 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 kick off uh, on on that line, the the part of Anne Lewis, uh, RoboCop's fully human sidekick and police partner, partner. Uh, was. Was uh, was going to be played by um, Stephanie Zimbalist, and she had to pull out for various reasons. So they were looking around for a new actor to to sort of come in and, and take the role. Uh, Nancy Allen was was sent the script, and she looked at the title RoboCop, as a lot of directors and producers did as well. Looked at the title RoboCop on the front page and was appalled. And why why have they sent me this? Robocop, what's this? <laughs> and then she started reading reading the script and apparently couldn't put it down. Yeah, yeah. And, and was just engrossed in it and 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 you know just just read it from start to finish and then you know got in touch with her agent and said, Yeah, I'm I'm in, you know. I I must admit I, I was the same as as her and as as um, as a lot of the people that were involved in the project. Me as a punter, and I think a lot of punters were like this. We sort of saw the title RoboCop and thought, well, isn't this just, just going to be like something like the Six Million Dollar Man on screen or something? And I'd seen a couple of Verhoeven films by, by 1987. I'd seen uh, The Fourth Man and he'd just done uh, Flesh and Blood as well. And I liked both of those and I sort of liked what he did. And I thought, oh, this this guy's this Dutch guy's a little bit quirky and he's worth keeping an eye on. And now he's gone to Hollywood. Let's see what he can do there, you know. 
And uh, obviously, you go and see a film called RoboCop because why wouldn't you? But <laughs> you you go in with very low expectations. Never mind the fact that you've enjoyed Verhoeven's films in in the eighties that, that that I'd seen at that point. But I went in and I thought, let's see what this is. Surely this this is going to live down to its title, you know. And obviously, it's amazing. It's it's near it's near perfect, isn't it? Oh yeah, it, it is incredibly scripted and directed, um, and the balance between satire and commentary on on all the things that he's talking about, and, and which is and which is still current. You can watch absolutely still current. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's one of those great satires that never dates. Well, that's what I was kind of joking about that in the, in, in the introduction there because it's like. All the themes and the topics are, 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 incre- are relevant now, if not yeah. more relevant now, you know. But they're particularly in the late in the eighty seven time where you've got like you know Reaganomics sort of like starting to really bite, and you think this is this isn't this isn't what they're saying it is, you know. And you've got all these reports of like the inner cities and and, and the nightmare of, of of corruption and all all that kind of stuff that was kicking off. And you see, you see it dealt with in other movies of that time, and it is dealt with in a very different manner. In an Arnie film, it's the evil, the evils of homeless people and, and the punks on the street. Every, everyone, if you walk through a city centre in an Arnie film from that period, everybody's a punk or, yeah, or an innocent is, old lady. You know, it's, no, it, it, it is. It's a death, death Wish three and that, exactly. that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. class of class of eighty four. You know, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the, the the you know people in Mohicans and torn T-shirts were, were the bad guys, you know, and 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 in in reality, it just wasn't that way, you know. No, of course not, of course not. But what Robocop does is successfully do with that. He's like brings that in, but adds that level of of, of satire to it. So it's kind of trying. It's, it's a pleasing to audiences at the same time in some yeah. way. Yeah, and and you know, it's got this whole thing about. Um, privatization by stealth mm. of a the police b of of the entire city of detroit where they they're, they're going to knock down sort of historic parts of the city to to build something new that that clearly that is going to be controlled by a corporation and then they 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 attempt to bring in this new mechanical police force and the brilliant thing is that of course it all goes wrong yeah before we even get to robocop we're introduced to uh, ed 209 which is a complete failure, you know. And it's I, I love that Verhoeven and and the, and the franchise as a whole has continued this as well. Ed Two O Nine looks fantastic and is an amazing cinematic creation, and then ultimately is used as comedy relief. Yeah, yeah, in in every and, film. <laughs> yeah, 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 and and is a complete failure. And and but. That's great because it's comedy and it's entertaining, but what it's doing on screen is actually, you know, massacring people or causing mayhem, which, which is awful for the characters on screen. And it's it, it's showing up immediately. It's a great visual metaphor for the fact that the corporate way doesn't work. Privatisation doesn't work. And Verhoeven manages to sketch that in so, so briskly and so simply here. Just, just by having this this um, lunky sort of piece of machinery going wrong and sort of killing the wrong people, you know. But it's an amazing, uh, um, amazing sort of metaphor for the whole um, what what the whole message is really. And then, then of course, RoboCop 
is is introduced as the um the the, the sort of prototype that's been on the back burner that 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 is like the, the the sort of mark two um of you know this is our substitute program sort of thing and comes in is a huge success but then you've got the whole this whole idea of what what it is to be human what you know this whole sort of man versus machine sort of thing going on which is um within within the hoven sort of satirical uh bent on on this whole movie here you've got a core of emotion going through it, and he can handle both of those. I think he's 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 a talented enough and skilled enough director to to handle the satire, but also to tell a, a core story. Yeah, and, and very successfully as well. It's one of those movies, and and you see this as, as as the franchise goes on, sort of thing. You see just how much of a delicate balancing act this first movie is, particularly in, in direction, in tone, particularly in tone. Uh, but also in like acting as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, well look, the whole the whole structure of it is is just a marvel, you know. And it it it, it ought to be mm. something that is is if not taught in film school, at least at least sort of the the template for what Hollywood does. And it so isn't. <laughs> it really does stand out because this ought to be the Hollywood formula, and and it's it's not, you know, and and you sort of scratch your head and wonder why because it's so perfect. I mean, for for instance, just just as one example, um, has has there ever been a better supporting cast than the supporting cast of RoboCop? Well, that's I mean, that, that, that's it's one of those things where again you see the sequels and it starts to drop a little bit down. You start instead of getting your sort of like uh, Ronnie Coxes and Kurtwood Smiths and Miguel Ferreira, uh, you, you start to get your Tom Noonan's, which who's, who's great. Don't get me wrong, but he's one yeah, step yeah, down. Yeah. And then by the third one, you get in good actors, but you're not getting any sort of like personality. Or in oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, we get Robert Doque, uh sort of appearing in all, in all three mm. movies and, uh, and doing a great job in all three. I think he's, he's the one um, uh, sort of survivor through, through the franchise, you know, and, uh, but, but, uh, but yeah, that, that, that first movie with that wonderful supporting cast. I mean, the great thing is that, um, there are lots of movies where people, you know, fans years and years and decades later can quote the dialogue from everything from Star Wars to Whitnail and I, you know. But how many people quote the dialogue of, of minor supporting characters from, from movies of the past? Robocop's got that, you know. Yeah. You're not just quoting Robocop's lines, Murphy's lines. The, the 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 stuff that has passed into legend. There there are like a dozen characters who who have great lines in this film and great iconic moments, you know, and 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 but that's all part of the tapestry, you know. That all fits in beautifully to the structure and the script and the direction and the way the story's told and the satire and everything that you've just mentioned. Yeah, it's funny. We I, we was we was di- I was dissecting Die Hard a few year last year year before, uh, with a view of us from a writing point of view, and it's just that every character in Die Hard, and, and similar and the same with this, every character has something to do. Even if you are the Chinese guy in 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 Die Hard who's waiting to shoot someone, that's all he's got to do. But then he, he sneaks a little chocolate bar out of the thing, out of the uh, the guy in the shop at Die in Die Hard. Makes a little comedy. Everyone's got a bit of character, a bit of personality yeah. 
in those movies. And this, this is exactly the same. I mean, you've got, like, I buy that for a dollar guy. You know, yeah, all he, he says in that movie. He only appears on screen, on a TV screen in the background. And yet you 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 want to know this guy's story. We want to see a movie about it. Yeah, you know? absolutely, yeah. 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 But yeah, the whole, the whole thing fits together. These, these, these aren't just cool characters. They're not just interesting characters with something to do and something to say, but they mesh together and form yeah. a world as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, the the gang in itself is just great. The bad guy gang. I mean, obviously you've yeah, got yeah. you've got Clarence, Clarence Bodiker as the leader, sort of thing, with the by Kurtwood Smith. But just the, just the supporting guys as well. I mean, they've all got they've all got characters and not in yeah, a sort of like they're all they're all very different too. They're all very different, yeah. but they're not but they're not like oh, that's the guy with the Mohican. That's yeah. the guy with the leather jacket kind of structure of the gang. They've got characters. They've got personalities. Yeah, but you see that coming through in yeah. in, in, in the film. They they do what could have been done with. I mean, we we did a podcast on Batman recently, and so we were talking about the Adam West TV show a little bit in in passing on that. And this gang does what you would have loved to have seen the henchmen do in the Batman TV show. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I love the henchmen in 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 the Adam West series, but they are a little bit sort of cookie cutter and they, they are subservient to the boss, be it the Joker or Riddler or whatever. Here they've all got character and personality mm. and they're doing that sort of giggling as, as they sort of uh, commit violence thing that the henchmen in Batman do. But they do it in a really heightened way and they do it as though they're having a lot of fun, you know, and their own individual personalities come over. And then when everything goes wrong, you sort of feel for them, you know. I mean, um, Paul McCrane gets uh, uh, one of the all-time great death scenes, I think, in Robocop, one of the great death yeah. scene movies as Emil. All we need to do is, is say the two words toxic waste and you'll know what we're talking about. But But... Don't you feel for him? And then Ray Wise gets involved in it and, and uh, you know, suddenly the sort of structure of the gang is falling to pieces just as McCrane's own physical structure is falling to pieces. And Wise doesn't want to know. He doesn't want anything to do with him and he's sort of screaming at him and pulling faces and the whole thing is just sort of falling apart. One interesting thing about the gang is how they parallel the um, the structure in the corporate boardroom as well. Yeah. Uh, oh, you, we, we, yeah. We've got two evil gangs here. No, oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, just let's just, just go. But going back to Emil's uh, tragic death, this movie is quite violent. <laughs> I mean, even even for the time, yeah, this is yeah. quite violent. This movie. Yeah. We've talked a lot in the past, especially when we've covered horror movies of of this era, about censorship. Mm. And what you found is that horror movies were being drastically censored at this point in time, but action movies and science fiction films weren't. And you you see a lot of the Arnold Schwarzenegger films of the time really, really getting away with stuff. Horror fans actually pointed this out in the 80s, you know, in sort of 86, 87, 88. Horror fans were were debating this quite often and pointing out specific scenes and saying, oh, there's this bit in in Die Hard or this bit in um, Commando or something that's included in the film. And yet there's, there's a similar bit in Friday the 13th Part 7 almost identical that's that we're not allowed to see you know and and it was weird that horror films were being heavily censored and action movies were still getting away with it and Verhoeven knew that you know and really plays on it in Robocop 
I mean, yeah, it cranks. I mean, obviously we talked we talked briefly about Emil's death, but that's that's a mo- that's a horror movie death. Oh yeah, you yeah. know, it's full on horror movie death, and even and even going back to to Peter Weller as as Alex Murphy, his death. Is oh, pretty awful. extreme, yeah, yeah. you know. I mean, well, here's the first parallel with with Benedetta. It's it's a crucifixion. Yeah, know? absolutely. Yeah, with 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 bullets. Mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Benedetta is all about um, the appearance of, of stigmata. You know, and here here we've got that occurring with 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 Weller. You know, yeah. and Verhoeven's actually made these parallels himself recently, hasn't he? You know, he's in in the publicity for, ben, for Benedetta and in the in the interviews he's been doing, he's been saying, "Oh yeah, Ro- RoboCop's a Christ movie." Yeah, yeah. He yeah. walks on water. He gets crucified. Yeah. You know, he rises from the dead. It's an Easter film. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, good, good luck, good luck with that argument. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he I, I guess you know, I'll, I'll chip in my two pennies here and say, if you, if you, if you're going to go with that, even if, even if head's the shape of an Easter egg, you know. But <laughs> I think they're re- reading a little bit too much into it there. But, I uh, think we are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, so we, so we, so let's let's move on to uh, to Weller actually as as. Alex Murphy, because this is a role that's um, right up his street in some ways. Yeah, yeah. He's not he's he as an actor, he's quite deadpan. A lot of the acting with the eyes is is not a lot of gesticular facial movements with with Peter Weller's um, acting career. You look back in his other roles, yeah, the ones yeah. that he's most famous for are those deadpan roles. Are those sort of like you know in, inscrutable uh facial roles you know sure well by by this point i mean this this is quite early in his career robocop and uh, the the films that we probably know him for prior to this are the marvelous um of unknown origin which is yeah. man the, the great man, man versus super rap film yeah. which really deserves to be better known um should should be a real cult favorite and hasn't quite made it yet but uh, but you're right about well weller in that movie gets uh, you know there's very little dialogue there and uh it, it's all about movement and and uh what what he can do with expressions and things and then of course uh uh your big favorite bookaroo banzai oh bookaroo banzai one of my favorite films yeah and he and, and deadpan Sure. to a T in that sure. movie, yeah. So, yeah, you can see the lineage between those films and Robocop. You can see why he got cast. And Ver- Verhoeven simply said uh, the reason why he was cast was, oh, he he had a good chin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a little bit dismissive, I think. Again, I, I think so. And then, well, that's Verhoeven. He would say that, wouldn't he? You know, he's, 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 he doesn't mean it, but he's, he's, he's making a point. He's, 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 he's playing Hollywood at their game, you know. But it is that one where you see subsequent actors take on the role of, of Alex Murphy and Robocop. It's, it's, you don't realise what he brings to the table. Yeah. As Paul Weller, Peter Weller, sorry, Paul Weller, Peter Weller, Paul Weller, I'm paid to see that. Peter Weller as uh, as Robot. You don't, you don't, you as you're watching him, you think, yeah, it's good, this is good, it's, 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 it's good. But it's only when you see other actors in that role and you think, oh, okay, it's not as easy as, as he makes it look. Yeah, you come back to the first two movies and, and you, you think, well, yeah, Weller's doing amazing stuff here, you know, really good physical stuff, really good. Uh, deadpan stuff, great line delivery. You know I, that that must have been a challenge for an actor to to be told, oh, you you you're going to be in this helmet for most of the film. 
only only your your mouth and your chin are going to be showing and um you you've got to deliver all your lines in 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 this in this sort of stilted monotone you know and yet he pulls it off and he makes a great character out he of does it. i mean he he has a sort the, the lines he delivers like you know dead or alive you're coming with me and things like that other actors deliver them straight faced and he yeah. is delivering a straight face but there's just a little tinge of irony in the way yeah, he's delivering yeah. them he, like like wink wink you know yeah. i you know this is a ridiculous line that an 80s action hero would make you know yeah yeah and and that's that's brilliant given the fact that this character is half man half machine and you sort of think well how much of this has been programmed in, into him and how much of this is murphy's own personality yeah. having having a bit of a dig you know and and reveling in the situation that he's found himself in because because you know, within that character, it must be, you know, the, the the idea that you wake up and and you're inside this casing, you're inside this machine. And Verhoeven shows that brilliantly with the this sort of unveiling. And we we see it all from, from Murphy's point of view. Mm. The, the the reveal of Robocop is done through his eyes. And that's... That's and an it, incredible yeah, sequence. Yeah. It really it's not is. Only, it's not just done through his eyes. It's done through his... Point of view. It's it's a sort of electronic point of view. It's a yeah. screen that we're looking through. It's not. It's not. Um, uh, they they've clearly done something to his eyes and his brain to make his vision now now look electronic. You know, yeah, and, yeah. And, and and we that's revealed to us very early in the film before we get our actual first sight of RoboCop as as a physical person as a physical entity. You know, to make the audience identify with with the character in that way is fabulous and to introduce all these ideas about what what he is really gets us in, into the heart of the character and gets us empathizing with his situation and his predicament but then this this idea that he that murphy can then sort of toy with that a little bit and bring the humor out of it mm. is great and of course the big action star of the time was arnold schwarzenegger who was known himself because because he, he didn't speak English as, as a first language initially was delivering very stilted lines like this in his own action movies yeah. and there's a sense there that Verhoeven's having a lot of fun with that let's get the guy talking a bit like Arnold Schwarzenegger you know and of course Ar- Arnie was of course um sort of connected with this role as well mm. um, among among you know many many Hollywood actors but uh Verhoeven ended up working with him on his next movie, Total Recall. But yeah. I, 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 you do sense that he's having a bit of fun at Schwarzenegger's expense with this character. Well, absolutely. I mean, I think you look. I mean, the, the casting of this. I mean, even though Arnie was involved potentially as 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 Murphy in the in the casting process, it was like I can't imagine him playing that role. No, no. he's kind of like a RoboCop anyway. You know, he's exactly. He's like, yeah, he's there'd, there'd, there'd have been there'd have been nothing there for Verhoeven to work with. I don't no. think, and no. very little, very little for Nancy Allen to play off. Yeah, exactly. And you start to see, you start to see that happening in eighties. You start to see that we'd had Stallone and Schwarzenegger and those sort of like muscle uh, action heroes, and you're starting to get like your 
Paul uh, Peter Weller. You're starting to get your um, Bruce Willis in Die Hard. You're starting yeah. to get even like even like Billy Crystal had a crack at being an action hero. Sure. You know, in that period, you start getting those like different types of action heroes. Eddie Murphy being, I guess, one of the most successful of that period as well. And and I think this this may be this maybe starts with RoboCop. You know, and and um, and it's 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 another level of the satire as far as Verhoeven's concerned. So he's satirizing. American politics, um, the American corporate situation, but he's also he's also satirizing Hollywood itself, and he's satirizing the action movies, satirizing the very thing that he's making, and and I think that's why it appealed so much to audiences. It's not it's not a spoof action movie. It's a, it's a really good, mm. hard hitting, violent action film, but it's got this core of fun within it. It's got this core of self awareness within it. I mean, let's just do a quick shout out a couple of characters. I mean, Ronnie Cox is great as yeah, the brilliant. evil scenery chewing corporate bad guy. Uh, yeah. I guess coming off coming off those sort of like slightly more friendly roles in Beverly Hills Cop, this yeah. this would have been a, a little about a face for him. Yeah, yeah. This this is like the sort of ruthless version of of, of characters that he played in the past, you know. And the, and but the the whole boardroom is is great, you know. There's 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 one shot of the boardroom, and it's it's sort of all middle aged men in grey suits, you know. And and the only woman you see is 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 the typist, the stenographer, you know. Yeah. And uh, you know that's that's what we're being offered here. And everyone is fighting each other, and they're all trying to sort of get up the ladder. And uh, Miguel Ferrer's character takes his chance and comes in when when Ed Two Hundred Nine fails disastrously, and he he whips out the papers from his back pocket and says, "Oh, I've I've got just the thing to replace, uh, you know, this failure, this thing we've been working on called RoboCop." You know, there's this sense of backbiting and nobody mm. trusting anyone else. You know, I mean, at the head of it all, you've got Dan O'Hurley. Yeah. He's the head of the company and he's sort of the nice guy in the boardroom. And yet he's known for playing these sort of slime balls and, and evil characters in the past. You know, if if he if he's your good guy in the boardroom, you know, that's that's not a great look, is it? No, not at all. I mean, and then that comes across even at the end, sort of thing, where he's like, he's that the, the nice, nice job, son, sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. just kind of like, yeah, everything's gonna go back to normal. You know, there's, there's that kind of like, you know, all this stuff. It doesn't matter that you're taking out one bad seed of this, of this thing. It's all going to go back to the same way it is. And there'll be, there'll be somebody, there'll be a new Dick Jones coming up soon, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, and the point Verhoeven's making in context of the film, as, as, as we've sort of hinted at already, is that no matter how bad the criminal gang is, how bad Bodica is, you know, the the the, the corporate um, uh, boardroom table is always going to be more evil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To the point where they're even fighting each other. They don't trust each other. You know, at least at least the criminal gang, to a point, have got each other's back. You know, the, these guys in suits haven't. They're they're all in it for themselves. Uh, we, we haven't spoken about the the screenplay. Yeah. No, no, no. Well, um, Ed, Ed Neumeyer, um had had um, uh, he 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 sort of uh, instigated this project. I think in the early eighties, and it was one of these things that he was working on for years and years. And I've I've read that um, the core of it was um, he he um, well he's he's not the first writer to do this. He he wanted to do something like Psycho. 
right. and, and 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 kill off his main character in the first fifteen minutes. Yeah, and boy, does he! You know, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, um, but yeah, what what a great screenplay it is. You were talking a bit about the structure of it and the uh, and um, how clever it is earlier on. And- yeah, I mean, it's, it, it is an incredible screenplay. I mean, it's and and, and the the psycho comparison is, is is quite apt with the with, well, obviously with the killing of the main character but he kind of has his cake and eats it in this one he like kills off the character and then brings him back oh yeah and so you don't have that sort of like jarring um you killing off your main character and suddenly introducing new characters to take as, over as, as verhoven would say you know if G- jesus did it so so why 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 can't murphy you yeah know? why the hell not i mean it's one of those it's one of those screenplays where i just when i watch the film and obviously years later when i started thinking about the more the script writing elements to it i was wondering how much of the writer is in it and how much is it paul verhoven and his and his and his influence on on the material because you could have filmed robocop as a gung-ho right-wing fantasy death wish for oh yeah it's a, it's a child it's a charles bronson film yeah you could film. easily yeah. do that with this screenplay so i was wondering I, I was always wondering how much of that was in the screenplay and a, a lot of it was in the screenplay from, <laughs> from from the sounds of it you know it's like it, a lot of that satire was there in the screenplay that was the, the commentary on on yeah. 80s yeah. action and 80s Breaking Any off. writer who's using Psycho as the basis for an '80s yeah. action movie is is going to have a bit of a satirical edge to what they do, aren't they? Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, and, and this movie just it, it's incredibly well structured. I think I think one of the good things about killing off your main character 15 minutes in is it it, it gives a good balance to those to those to the movie that people who are watching the film there's always something interesting happening in this movie you can't take your eyes off it because you know after 15 minutes they killed off the main character you know what's yeah. going to happen at 30 minutes all, you all know lets her off. Yeah. exactly yeah, yeah. so yeah. it has that thing where you, you you're an hour in before you're thinking well what's going on in this movie this is crazy it's non-stop um and you have that breathing moment you know where he's, he's in the warehouse with with uh, with lewis you have that moment there, where a little bit of moments of humanity sort of thing. But up to that point, it's been non-stop. You know, you've had him introduced into the station, go on the job, get killed, be resurrected, have his nights out on the, on the town, uh, being RoboCop, saving people, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and also having the, the resurrected memories and, and and hunting down this gang. It's in, it's an incredible. I want to say, oh, it's not even first act. It's like incredible first 50 minutes, 60 oh, yeah. minutes. It's, it's just a whirlwind. It is nonstop. Yeah. And, and I think, as, as I said, I, th- I think people, certainly Hollywood, you know, actors and producers and people that were, were involved in or, or offered mm. participation in Robocop sort of balked a bit at the title. I think audiences did too. So audiences that paid to see this in 1987 were sat down thinking, well, what are we in for? This is going to be a bit cheap and silly, isn't it? You know, and and once it started, as you say, there's there's like an hour after, after the, the the first hour or so is such a whirlwind that, mm-hmm. that we did we didn't have time to 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 sort of think about it. You know, we didn't have time to think, oh, this is going to be a, 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 a this is daft or this is not working. You know. You you were just hooked straight away and then whisked along through the story. Yeah, it's it's absolutely incredible. As as I say, it's a all almost almost perfect job of work, I think. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. So you've made the perfect satire on 80s action movies. So what do you do? You franchise it and make more of them. It's like it kind of goes against the tone and the the, the intention of the satire. Yeah, yeah. Do we well, even do I, a sequel, to be honest? I can imagine Paul Verhoeven going along to the sequel and just just roaring and, and having a great time with it. I didn't, and a lot of people didn't. It's not a good movie. But I bet Paul Verhoeven loved it because I bet he thought, this is another level to my satire, you know. Um, the, the film isn't working, but... Uh, I, I love that Hollywood has done this. You know, I'm I'm enjoying this. You can sort of imagine him having that take on it. You know, because it, it gets it so wrong. You know. Well, we, we, we was, I was talking beforehand. So one of the things that really struck me about when I, as I was rewatching this franchise was just just how much that Hollywood just does not understand when a, why a film is a hit. Yeah, yeah, for all their talk and 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 then like, well, yes, no, we know we we've been making movies, while well, we've been making hits years and years and years. When something does hit, they have no clue why it's a hit, no, and no. frequently, uh, more uh, than frequently, yeah. they they get it wrong in the sequels because they don't understand that. Yeah, Ro- watching RoboCop and then watching RoboCop Two absolutely proves that. I think I think better than almost anything, you know. Yeah. Yeah, so where 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 do we start with the sequel oh. then? Um, well, let's start let's start with Frank Miller. Yeah, yeah. We don't get Ed Neumeyer back for this. His script was rejected, mm. um, and we get Frank Miller, comic book writer. Yeah, very very famous comic book writer at that point. Written Daredevil, broke on with Batman, Dark Knight Returns, and and, and become a top tier legendary writer at that yeah, point. Yeah, so so he'd, he'd been he'd been around for a while, Miller, but he, he was he was really hot sort of at the end of the 80s and yeah. sort of 19, the cusp of the 90s. So yeah, he he, he you can you can understand why he was a, a name in the frame. And this was pre-Sin City yeah, as well. Yeah. So it was in between you sort of like early 80s, Daredevil, Dark Knight Returns kind of you can see why he was chosen. Mm, yeah. At that point, because you read Dark Knight Returns and you see a similar type of satire and commentary on 80s, particularly 80s Reaganomics and particularly sort of like violence, inner city violence, that kind of thing. However, <laughs> however, as we have since found out by Frank Miller as he's gone on in his life and his career and his writing, the satire has kind of fallen away on a lot of his writing and the right wing fantasy stuff has remained. And you see that in his work, and you start to see that here. I think, in, in particularly in two, and, and to some extent in three as well, you get those nods at satire, but they're very half-hearted nods. They're not. That's not what this film is about. The film is about inner city drugs is bad, and all the people that take the drugs are bad as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, here, here we've got precisely the thing that we mentioned earlier. It, it is, you know, the, the street people and, and that lifestyle and and, um, and the drug culture on the streets needs to be eradicated, you know. And Robocop's the guy to do that. And that that isn't that isn't what this this character's about, you know. No, no, no. They get they get it so wrong. It's they get sort it. of misses yeah. the point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I. 
the 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 look of the movie i i don't like it 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 looks like a film shot on sets and poorly decorated locations yeah. and and half-hearted use of of, of studio backlot it's back funny it's funny because when I, when I, when i watched it I, for some reason i thought it was a quickie sequel yeah, yeah, I thought it was it's, eighty-seven it's, and eighty-eight. Yeah. It's like three years. It's like you know, it's like nineteen ninety. Yeah, it should have been able. It, to... it feels it feels like a quickie sequel, though. I can I can see why you would think that. It's almost like it's not like RoboCop two. It's like RoboCop eight or something. It's, <laughs> it's like they've skipped over sort of parts two through through six and gone straight to part seven or part eight. You know, it is that sort of shot on the back plot or or shot on very very obvious garish sets you know so everyone's just sort of walking in and out and you know their characters in a movie mm. um there's there's no sense of reality to it and um it it, it just becomes a, a little bit sort of cartoony and a little bit sort of one note and uh weller seems disinterested you know we oh, yeah. we, we, we were we were praising him earlier on for how well he uses that monotone in in the first movie here i think you can tell this is a sort of contractual obligation thing and he's really he's really really going through the motion yeah he really didn't want to be in that suit and, uh, and do all that again he was, no, he, no. yeah he was very adamant about that <laughs> but, and, and 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 it shows and then they they bring nancy allen back and uh, i mean they 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 cut nancy's trademark uh, um, you know, wonderful hair for the first movie. Apparently, on Verhoeven's insistence, because he yeah. he wanted a sort of androgynous sort of character. He he didn't want to to play up the the the, yeah. the sort of sex of the character. But what what's happened to her hair in this? It's it, uh, it's this this horrible sort of frumpy do that puts about twenty five years on her. Yeah, it's not. It's I mean, a hair. Uh, to be fair. All three movies get her hair wrong. I mean, oh, I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm no, yeah. I'm no hair specialist, but <laughs> every time I watch these movies, I think, God, what are they, what are they thinking with her haircuts? Though? I know, yeah. This is Nancy Allen, who's sort of known for her hair, and, and, yeah. and you, you do this with her across the three films. But uh, yeah, but this, this is the worst, and um, she's sort of rather sort of going through the motions as well. Yeah. So at the core, the the, the 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 two key characters, the two characters that we identify with and that we're rooting for are played by actors who don't want to be there. Yeah, and, and also you kind of get a feeling like, like, particularly Nancy, you kind of get a feel like she's a little bit sidelined. She's not massively, but you do feel that way. And maybe that's yeah. just the disinterest, the, the disinterest that she has as, as returning, but you don't feel like she has any impact in this film at all. You're you're right. I mean, I think the female characters as a whole are are, are sort of badly written in this. I mean, we we, we get Mrs. Murphy, played by uh, Angie Bolling here, who appears sort of quite early on. And she gets to do that thing that we we, we talked about when we did the King Kong podcast in Son of Kong. Son of Kong starts with lawsuits flying around. You know, we're we're back to see, oh, what's going to happen to the giant gorilla? And then the (laughs) the first 15 minutes of it are about people suing each other. Yeah. And that's what we get here with 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 Mrs. Murphy. Instead of going into the sort of poignancy and the emotion of her relationship with this man machine of a husband, we get this thing where Robocop's harassing her and she sues um the OCP corporation. Yeah. You know, and and that's that's not a way to kick off a movie. No, not not at all. You know, it's just it's just insane. It's like 
Yeah, you you wouldn't you just wouldn't just wonder what they were thinking because they, they bring they bring in Irvin Kirshner to direct. Yeah, so you know, directed one of in. the more successful sequels uh, 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 of cinema history, I guess, in Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Think, okay, so and, and has, then, has then then been in, entrusted with uh, doing the 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 sort of Bond film that isn't a Bond film, Never Say Never Again. This is his first film since then, so there's a seven year gap. But yeah, he's 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 a guy who. You, you looked perfect. If you're going to do a RoboCop two, I, I I can't think of many people that 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 you would have gone for above Kirshner, you know. Yeah, but, yeah. But again, he 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 sort of seems a bit lazy and a bit disinterested, and and doesn't really bring a lot to this. I think it, I think it's I think it's one of those franchises that you need a firm hand on the tiller, as it were. Um, guiding any any sequence, it's not it's not a case of like well rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat because the nuances and the tone and nuances in the satire, that's the important bit of this franchise. And if you lose that, you haven't got a franchise as we as we end up seeing. Yeah, you almost wanted someone like you know like, uh, James Cameron came in on Alien and made it his own. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And then you had okay. David Fincher come in and, and make a... You kind of wanted that from RoboCop. You wanted sure, someone to come in sure. to understand the tone, understand yeah. the satire. Someone someone who wasn't Paul Verhoeven, but had a similar sort of personal vision to Verhoeven, yeah. Yeah. you know, and could bring their own little take to this material. And Kirshner's not like that. He's, he's a very, very good no. jobbing director. He's a very good person to bring in, and he can handle big projects. He can handle uh, special effects movies, mm. But there's no investment there. He's, no. he's 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 there to do a job. He's not there to bring a vision to this. No, not at all. I mean, really, what they should have been doing, they should have been looking at, at the independent American scene at that time. You had so many directors like coming yeah. through the indie ranks at that point, where you just think, God, you could take your pick, and 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 some of them would have gone. I'm not doing that. I'm I'm doing my own thing. I'm doing my little indie projects. But a couple of them might have brought something to it you could have seen like um uh, a spike i can see spike lee directing this yeah, yeah i could see yeah, spike yeah. lee directing this yeah. and well, doing a hell of a job out of it yeah hollywood dare not do that at this time they did they did start doing it later on because people like sam raimi who again might have been a good good fit for robocop too mm-hmm. did eventually start getting those gigs you know and and um but but yeah, Spike Lee's a great call. I'd, I'd I'd love to have seen what he would do with the sort of urban inner city yeah. uh, uh, movie with this sort of right wing element to it. You know that that and and he'd 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 have been, he'd have been coming off do the right thing at that exactly, time. Exactly. Yeah. Well, which, oh man, Can you imagine depicting all those sort of like drug users and things and depicting them as real characters and yeah. not just end users of of the, of the drugs would have been an incredible like take on it. I think. Oh, I, I want to see that now. <laughs> what 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 we do get instead is a film that's that's very lackluster, doesn't really understand what Robocop's all about, and then it's got all these little odd odd moments in. There's 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 an absolutely dreadful point where um, Robocop get this, gets this terrible one liner where he goes into to where all the all these kids are sort of bunking off. And and he he sort of says, "Isn't this a school day?" And then they all throw popcorn at him. Yeah, yeah. Well, well what's what's going on with that that scene with the corpse of Elvis Presley? You know, yeah. and and, uh, and I, I think uh, uh, the, maybe the absolute low point is we get this little interlude where there's a, there's a contortionist playing "Born to Be Wild" on a violin. 
Yeah. For, for no reason. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I have no clue. I have no clue what was going through the mind on some of these things. I mean, as I say, I think it loses the satire. I mean, you have all the sort of like, where he gets reprogrammed with the 180 odd different prime directives to, 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 to abide by and be, be the perfect cop. And it, it, it is like that right wing argument, like all oh, the cops can't do their job because they're constrained by PC rubbish and they'd be woke now and woke at sensibility, blah, blah, blah. They can't do the job of cracking down on crime. And he kind of like proves that point. He's like, that's exactly what the movie says. Yeah. And it's like, and that's not RoboCop to me. Yeah, this that's it. RoboCop isn't Dirty Harry. You know? No, not at all. Yeah, he's not. D- Dirty Harry's great and has got his place in the movies, but don't don't try and sort of shoehorn that into, into a franchise where it doesn't fit or into a sequel where it doesn't fit. I mean, we, we talked about the violence in the first movie, and that's that's clearly been neutered here as well by now. It's, they're, they're finally centering action movies in the same way that they were centering horror films, you know. So you've, you've not even got the novelty of, of splatter and gore, you know, in this one, uh, in, in the way in the way that we saw it in the first. No, no, not at all, not at all. But they learned from that, didn't they? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, they didn't. We move on to number three, which is critically seen as the worst film in the franchise. But I don't, I don't know whether that's true. I mean, I think, I think the, I, I I think the second like one's it. pretty bad. Yeah, I, I quite like RoboCop three. I think it's, it's, it's tonally all over the place because at yeah. some, t- at some point, and at its very best point, I think it feels like a kids' movie. Mm. And and Fred Decker's coming off. He's done Night of the Creeps, great sort of cartoony horror film. He's then done Monster Squad, which was a was a kids horror film, you know. And uh, he sort of brings a little bit of Monster Squad sensibility to RoboCop Three. I think he he, he, he um, it's not a kids film, and there are scenes in it that you wouldn't want kids to see. Yeah. But it's got child characters in it, and it's it's got great sort of kiddie appeal scenes. I mean, you know. At, 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 by by the end of the film, Robocop's flying, you know, and the and the the the, the six year old kid in in me was standing on his seat cheering at that point, you know, when I saw that. But uh, um, yeah, and but but tonally, it's got it's got these elements that would appeal to a sort of family audience, and then it's it's got some of the the, the more sort of twisted violence in it that you you sort of expect from. Robocop. I think I think that's probably from the script. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you've got like apparently it's again Frank Miller return. Frank Miller's back. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But apparently it's all the stuff that they didn't want in number two is put into number three. Right. And it's kind of, well, if it wasn't good enough for two, why is it suddenly good enough for three? <laughs> and then you've got Fred Decker coming on board and writing as well. So yeah, yeah. you bring his, and it feels like it's like, yeah, the unevenness is is those two sensibilities going against each other in the script. Yeah. And I think that shows a bit in, in the finished film in, in that, it has some of the best stuff of the first two movies and, and some of the worst things as well. Like again, we've we've got a sort of wild punk mutant gang in this one, in in the sort of death, death wish three sort of style, you know. And you do sense that Fred Decker gets the point more than Kirshner did, but there are still these elements, and again, that must be sort of script leftovers. That, that that fit more with the world of RoboCop 2 than they do with the original. Yeah, yeah. When when they try and put a lot of references to RoboCop, the, the first movie, into this one. Yeah. But they, they don't really integrate. You know, they're they're just they're they're there as fan service, aren't they? 
Yeah, I mean, also it's like we've seen it in one. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we've seen yeah, it done like, brilliantly in one. We yeah. kind of want to move on with that. And I, I think well, maybe ultimately that's what it is. The character hasn't got much more story to tell. Yeah, beyond yeah. the first film, I thought it was interesting. This book, the film came. Out, this film came at the same year as Demolition Man. Yes, which I think does that kind of thing much, much better mm. uh, and, and more successfully than this one does. This one feels very limp in 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 its depictions of gangs and things like that. Whereas Demolition Man got that satire, got that fish yeah, out of yeah. water kind of thing going for it. Am, am I am I right? Remembering correctly, that Decker, I think, was was involved with Demolition Man for a while. I'm not sure on that. I don't know. Not so. I might might have to check that out. But I've I've, I've got a feeling that Decker was connected with that. You can you can see you can see it in his, in his sort of yeah, like yeah. Um, the, the tone of that is not is very dissimilar to, to to Decker's tone. Yeah, and he he must have thought you know when the two films came out more more yeah. or less together he so must Decker, have thought boy did I back the wrong horse you know but uh, yeah Decker did un, uncredited rewrites on the script. Right, right, yeah. One one thing I do like about RoboCop three a lot is that, um, and and we we can only say this in hindsight from from a later point of view because um, it really does seem to sort of predict the world of um, George Romero's um, mm. two thousand and five Land of the Dead. It's it yeah. really I think they'd make a great double bill. They're very very similar films. Again, I think both movies make a virtue out of their cheapness and their their the again the if if they are having scenes shot on back lots and things you know they really make a world out of out of this this vision of you know sort of fencing and barren streets and characters sort of charging around in a van and everything falling to pieces you know and and yeah it was interesting re-watching Robocop 3 I'd forgotten how how similar Romero's uh, Land of the Dead is is mm. is to it in places, and and in 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 terms of theme as well, you know, because this lurches us slightly more towards the left again, and and gives us a, an underclass versus big business yeah. uh, sort of core plot, which is which is much more palatable than the um, the, the 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 sort of right wing fare that we've got in part two. I think. Yeah, I, I think they did. They, they make a conscious conscious effort. To go back to that original vision of uh, of, of Verhoeven and, and Neumeier's uh, yeah. original screenplay and original film, yeah, yeah. But, what, what? <laughs> but yeah, I, I know. what do we think about uh, Robert Burke then, who's now taken over as Murphy? Uh, he's not very good, but I don't. He's a good actor. Don't get me wrong. He yeah, is a good yeah, actor. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with him. I think the biggest problem with taking on this kind of role, you almost needed it to be someone that you knew. So somebody that that was a, a, an established actor that you could say, okay, I know that uh, Robert Downey Jr. is playing this role. Yeah, so sort, Robert sort Downey Jr., like, I know sort of like they did, like they did in the '90s Batman films. Yes, they, they didn't have Michael Keaton going right through, as as we said. Um, but, I don't know but, whether that's a good but, example. I don't know whether well, that proves, proves my point or not. Maybe, <laughs> maybe not. No, maybe not. You I kind of want someone so. that you recognise, so that you, that so that that leap of embonding with the character. Yeah, yeah. Is already so there. So there's something of them in in yeah. in the part. Yeah, yeah. It's other, otherwise RoboCop becomes more. I mean, the whole point of RoboCop is that he is an emotional human being trapped inside this this yeah. electronic casing and and both halves of that character 
are being ordered around and bossed around by a corporation, you know, and he's got to sort of fight that as well as fighting to bring his humanity out. And yeah, bringing an established actor to that emphasizes that. Whereas if if, if you just make it about, oh, it's it, any anyone could play this, anyone can put the helmet on, it lessens what Robocop's about. It, it absolutely it. does. I mean, and, but, oh, but um, for me, it also enhanced how, what a great job. Uh, Peter Weller does exactly because um, you know he was he wasn't a household name at that point, but he really you know became Robocop. And, and in this one, again, again, Burke's great as an actor, yeah. and you know you see that. In his, I don't know how many people would known who he was, even yeah, even definitely. like they might have seen a couple of Hal Hartley things that he'd done. You know, he, he did he'd done a few things he was in Rambling Rose with Laura Dern, but yeah, yeah, and he's not been cast on the basis that he's done that work. He's been cast on physic on physicality. And he's he's good. It's a good physical performance. He he does manage to do Robocop's yeah, yeah. sort of head turns and neck turns and movements and things very very well. But how must he have felt in in how, having done the work that he'd done already? You know, really interesting indie films and some some great yeah. challenging roles. You know, and suddenly you're oh you're you're the guy in the suit. You know, which which Peter which Peter Weller never was. No, I, I do wonder what I do wonder what his thought process about taking the role was, because it's, it's it, it feels like it was destined to fail no matter what, really. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's like obviously a lesser, you know, a smaller budget for this film. Nancy Allen didn't want to come back, and he's killed off fairly quickly yeah, in, in yeah. the movie. Again, with another terrible hairdo. Yeah, yeah another that, terrible hairdo. Not a Nancy yeah. Allen hairdo. Yeah, yeah. You um, get to this point where it's just kind of like, well. Well, yeah, why would you take? Well, I guess you take his role because he's a jobbing actor and he's got to take on roles. But you do feel like he was ne- he was never going to be able to make it a success. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think if if there are good points here, they're they're in they're in um, some of the the lively sort of kid orientated scenes, and I think particularly in the uh, in the supporting cast where we've got to, we've got to Robert Doakey uh, back as uh, yeah, Sergeant yeah. Reed, CCH Pounder. In, 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 she, she's all yeah. always fabulous, always great to see. Really good in this, and I, I think John Castle as uh, the villain McDaggett is is fantastic. You know what Hollywood of course was all every hollywood villain of of the early 90s period was was english yeah and uh and here's, here's a great example i think in robocop 3 i think he's really good as the sort of slimy corporate villain here i mean one of the things of the first film and the second film to, to a lesser extent have great supporting characters this has less of them yeah yeah you know, i mean literally in the second one you've got john glover appearing very briefly in an advert, you know, he's like yes, throw yeah. away a John Glover performance. Yeah. Then John Glover's great, you know. I mean, he's like the same year he did Gremlins two in nineteen ninety. It was fantastic as the Trump esque um, uh, CEO sort of thing. And they throw him away in this in the second one. And in this one, this, 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 you could have done with the John Glover in this. You could have done with someone like that. They just don't have enough, and they got Rip Torn, who feels like he's doing. I don't know. It feels like it's okay. Which which Rip Torn performance am I going to copy here today? Okay, <laughs> this one. I'll do that one again, and off he goes, sort of thing. And it's just it just feels like yeah. There's no one's no one's really got an investment in this movie to get it made. The director doesn't seem massively engaged by it. The writers rehashing things from number two. 
you know, Nancy Allen doesn't want to be there. It's like it's like a dumpster fire. <laughs> Nobody yeah. wants to jump in. You, you've all you've almost segued into talking about the 2014 remake here because well, every, everything well, you've just said well, sort of applies to that. Absolutely, but it's kind of it's one of those things where it's just like this franchise. It, should not be a franchise. No. Ultimately, you know, it's like people say, oh, you know, let's give Robo a chance, you know, give 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 another opportunity to get Robo's cop. And it's like Robocop's had three three movies in its initial run, a remake, it's had two live action TV series, yeah. two animated TV series. <laughs> I think it's had its fair crack at the whip, yeah, really. Yeah. And, and only Paul Verhoeven and Ed Neumeyer yeah. have understood it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I'm, I'm I'm interested. I mean, I mean, I was interested to see why bother with this one, but obviously, we're talking Hollywood here, and they don't that it's it's name recognition, and they can try and make some money off it. But yeah, we get the 2014 remake, which was going to be a Darren Aronofsky project, and yeah. he, he as early as 2010, and he ditched it and went off and did the Black Swan instead, for which we're all really really grateful. I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah. I, I think Aronofsky might might well have made something of a RoboCop film. And- yeah, I mean Aronofsky had a lot of interesting projects on the bubble <laughs> around, yeah, yeah. around like around those periods. He was going to do Batman as well, wasn't it? Well, yeah, yeah. But I, it's interesting that the, the 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 sort of obvious ones that he's attached to are always the ones that he ditches you know yeah, yeah. And, and and then he goes off and makes something a little bit quirky instead uh, so I, th- I think he likes being associated with these big projects but very rarely does them and always takes a little turn and says no I'll I'll go and do my own thing instead you know so so yeah it it, it, it was a while in in uh, on, on on the production slate and then eventually um, came to be filmed in 2014 and interesting choice of director because we've got to Jose uh, Padilla, who, yeah. who made the, the very, very good and very socially conscious uh, Bus One Seven Four, yeah, yeah, great Brazilian sort of docu drama in two thousand and two. So again, prom- promising from the start here, but uh, just, just, just didn't work, did it? It's a film that just sort of lies there. Yeah, it, it, again, again, it, I don't think it, it doesn't have the satire. No, no movie at all, really. And I, and I, I don't think it was ever intended. No, to. I don't think it was. They, 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 they make a real half-hearted attempt to do that with Sam Jackson's character. Yeah, and he, he never gets out of the TV studio that he's in, and and uh, so he's just a character talking to camera. It doesn't have the edge of, of Verhoeven's satire, you know. It's 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 a lot more obvious. Yeah, they they do some ludicrous things with with Jackson, like they they have him doing vocal exercises before he comes onto camera, and they dub that over the MGM lion yeah, in, yeah. before the credits. I, and I don't know why. Yeah, and 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 then then at the end he, he gets to do his trademark one word catchphrase, um, and uh, again it, it's just oh right you know okay that's how we're going to finish this is it, and in between all of that we we just get a bit of a mess really a waste a waste of a great cast. I, I was about to say, and then because yeah, the, yeah. they get the cast, uh, you know, as we talked in the first one with like really interesting cast members, this is this is packed with them. You know, you got Michael K. Williams. As, yeah. as, as replacing Nancy Allen in this movie <laughs> um, as his partner and, and, and friend sort of thing. And so and so wasted because Robocop is portrayed as a loner in this film who doesn't need a partner. No, he doesn't, no, no. So what, a, what a waste of a great actor there. Well, I think one, I think one of the interesting... I mean, obviously, I'll just run through the cast before we move on. Yeah, yeah. We've got Michael K. Williams, fresh off the wire, 
um, really hot as Omar and really, you know, this this could have been a good breakout for him on the big screen, but sadly wasn't. We've got Gary Oldman in this. We've got Michael Keaton, Samuel Jackson, Abby Cornish. Yeah, great. Right? Yeah, yeah. Jackie Earl Haley's in there. Jackie Earl Haley, yeah, Jennifer yeah. Ailey as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, Jay Baruchel as well. Yeah. You know, so like, great, great name cast. And and you you can see you can see the best of those really, really trying to make something of this. Yeah. Old Oldman is is turning cartwheels here <laughs> and, and has just got nothing to work with. No, no, no. He's really making an effort to make something out of this. And and he, you 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 sort of sense that he knows that. No one on the production is 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 really bothered, you know, and and uh, he he's trying to haul this up and 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 just can't make headway. No, absolutely. I mean, I, I think one of the fascinating things we talked about, like the motivations for making this movie, and just just it's just interesting looking at the Wikipedia entries for these films. So you got RoboCop One is uh, described as a 1987 American science fiction action movie. RoboCop 2, science fiction action movie. RoboCop 3, science fiction action movie. RoboCop 14, 2014 American superhero movie. Superhero, yeah. That's right, they nail it. They're trying to do a superhero movie with a character that is not suitable to... RoboCop ain't a superhero. Well, he's not a superhero. He's not Charles Bronson. He's not Dirty Harry. He's his own thing. He's and, a cop. And, and they, well, that's the whole point. But he's a cop. He's like they, a, they've a, never understood. That. No, absolutely. And they and they, and they still don't. <laughs> in yeah, 2014, yeah. they still don't. You know. Yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was fascinating. I mean, obviously, I was right in the middle of them, still in as I was still in the Marvel boom sort of thing. So yeah, everything yeah, was a bloody yeah. superhero movie then. Yeah. So since RoboCop's partner is sort of sidelined, and again, they they cast a great actor and a red hot name in in the part, and then do nothing with him. And because of that, we, we've got nobody like Nancy Allen here. We've, we've got no audience gateway. We've got no, no connection to RoboCop. So, um, but he doesn't really work as a loner figure because, because again, he, he just becomes a, a rather dull and... and it, it sort of having him as a loner sort of emphasizes the more sort of sinister and stalky sort of aspect. Of yeah, well, they try, they try and bring the wife yeah. as the more yeah. sort of like the, the human character trying to figure out what's going on and stuff like that. But I don't think it really works. No, no, you you you, you need you need that to be coming from Murphy, not not from someone connected to him. He needs to be the person who's doing all of that. They they even misjudge his look. You know, they they give him this what they think is oh we we're now going for cool black body armor. Well we we we've seen you're turning him into Batman. You know? They even have even have his face they get his face all wrong because they set his face inside yeah. a, a, a a Batman like cowl in done in done in sort of mechanical way. Ro- Robocop's face sits outside that. You know, when yeah. we see Peter Weller, even Robert Burke does it. You know, the, the design of Robocop is that the skin fits outside the, the mechanism. Um, and again, that's a brilliant visual metaphor because it really, really emphasizes the, the, the sort of human aspects of the character and the way he's fighting to retain that spark of humanity. Yeah. And here, it's just, it's, it's, it, you don't get that metaphor. It's just lost. He's just, he is just another superhero and he's, he's, he's a man in a mask sort of thing, you know, and that's, again, that isn't what Robocop is. They, they get it so, so wrong. Kinnaman's all right as, as, as visually, you know, he's not, he's, he's not. He's, he's decent. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, but, but again, it's, it's, it's cast really again for physicality, though, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, you're right. It, it kind of just sits there. Yeah, and yeah. It's like you watch it, you think you miss it, and you forget you move on, sort of thing. Yeah. Was the film made a couple of years too early? Because I, I, I think I think a new Robocop story might have really played in Donald Trump's America. Oh, absolutely. And it just, yeah. it just sort of misses the boat by doing it in 2014, you know. Yeah. Well, maybe maybe we'll get that with the uh, impending another remake um, <laughs> uh, as is being penned and written. Could yeah. could be. There is one great dialogue exchange in the, in, in the RoboCop uh, remake, though. Um, it's, it's when they see the new armour and... Um, and Michael Keaton says he looks like a billion dollars, and uh, one one of the team comes from behind him and says two point six billion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I think that that we need more of that in there. You know that that was that was great. That that was the one sort of spark where I thought, oh yeah, they've done something that Paul Verhoeven would have done. You know, yeah. but there's 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 nothing else. There's nothing else. No, such a shame as well because like. Well, the character is potent, and in the modern world and in the world we're in today, there's a place for RoboCop. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to do it, you know, because even though I think it is a film that's been done perfectly already. Yeah. yeah. So, and I don't necessarily think that the the themes are dated or anything like that. When you watch RoboCop 1, it doesn't take a massive leap to move that to modern times, really. But if you're going to do it, do it better. Yeah, otherwise there's no point and we can just go back and watch the first film again because that is so relevant to 1987 and to 2022 and I'm sure to the future. Yeah, yeah, sadly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Okay, lovely. Let's that's, that's, let's draw a line under it there, Daryl, and uh, we will move on. Thank you for joining us and thank you for listening. We will be back again in a couple of weeks' time with another great podcast. In the meantime, do check out our Patreon. Do check out our Facebook page. And if you've got any suggestions for topics that you would like us to tackle, then send us an email at podcast at derbyquad.co.uk. Okay, take care. See you soon.